This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. I am Jack Pelzer. I am Dan Hodgman. Dan Hodgman has his uh, tin can microphone out again, but we're we're close to getting it fixed. <laughs> we're working on it. <laughs> well, anyway, um, we won't bury the lead here, and we thought we would talk a few moments about it was a tough time in the world. And presently, it's gotten a lot tougher over the last week or so. Um, After a really terrible thing, obviously, happened in Minneapolis last week. And there's been some good things and some uh, some good things, some great things that have come out of it and some not so great things uh, right now. Um, I won't tell you exactly where I live, but I, I live near... Uh, the corner of uh, Milwaukee Avenue and Levitt in uh, Chicago, Illinois. And I was walking around yesterday and everything was getting boarded up because the night before, obviously, they had uh, really torn um, that neighborhood apart. And what I saw that was great was that um, everyone seemed to be in good moods out there. There were people um, painting uplifting graffiti on the boarded up buildings and i saw uh protesters and police getting along everyone seemed to be just you know doing the best they can so that's my story on that dan what are you feeling absolutely obviously like jackie said you know it was a terrible thing we saw in minneapolis and uh, i think with everything going on right now is the time for us all to come together um focus on the little positive things that we can like jack pointed out there um, you know, this is a time we're, we're, in an, we're given an opportunity here and, uh, together as a, a country, as a people, we can all come together and, you know, we can build from this. We can, uh, we can become something bigger and that's, that's where I'm looking forward to. And, you know, I'm keeping everyone affected, um, in my thoughts right now. And I just hope everyone stays safe and, um, you know, it's uh, definitely a difficult time. Yeah. Well, this right here is going to be the greatest segue I have <laughs> ever done. You know, now that we have, you know, said that, and I don't want to make light of that, but if we ever had need for a clinical psychologist, today might be the day. At least for me, that's how I feel, Dan. This has been tough. I would I would have to agree. So with that in mind, we just finished interviewing Dr. Andrew Meneker who is a legit psychologist, not the type that uh, Dan and I occasionally play. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the letters after his name. Yes, yes, he does. And uh, it was a really lovely conversation. We're going to be doing some work together with uh, Dr. Meneker uh, and Top Step, putting out some content together and getting down to some of the real clinical psychology aspects of trading where... Some of the stuff frameworks he was talking about today were new to me, and they were really cool, real, real helpful. Absolutely, he. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. He brought up a couple of things, and I never looked at it. I never thought about it like that. And the more I keep, um, 
taking in everything that he said, the more and more I'm applying it and thinking back to, okay, now I get why I made that silly error or now I understand why I felt that way. Um, so I'm really looking forward to continuing to uh, sit down and chat with them. And I hope uh, everyone listening to this walks away with as much as uh, I think you and I did. Awesome. Well, you know, without further ado, then I say we just uh, kick it over today's interview with Dr. Andrew Meneker. We'll see you all for a little bit after the break. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. And we're joined today from San Francisco proper by Dr. Andrew Meneker, a uh, true blue, honest to God, psychologist and trader. So, uh, Dr. Meneker and Topstep were doing some stuff together, and uh, Dan and I are both super interested in anything that involves trading psychology, especially when it comes from somebody who actually has expertise, <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> what we kind of uh, sometimes dabble in, uh, pseudoscience. So uh, we haven't met before. I'd love to hear a little bit about what you uh, do and how you got into this. Sure. Yeah, my origin story, if you will, is, is a pretty good one, actually. Um, never had a business class, never had an econ class, never imagined long ago in a million years that I'd be in, a trader or be involved in markets. Never even really knew much about markets at all, even through my 20s, through college and grad school. And then coming out of grad school, I had a lot of student loan debt, as a lot of, a lot of people in my shoes have. And uh, living in the Bay Area, it's a really competitive market for psychologists. And you have to get a postdoc internship before you can, you're fully licensed and you can get out there and do your thing. I needed a postdoc internship that paid a stipend because most of them don't pay stipends. Um, they're, you, you work for free. I needed a stipend because I had a lot of debt and I support myself. So I ended up um, looking at what are all the postdoc internships that are available that have a stipend. And there was one at the highest stipend at Wells Fargo Bank. And I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. Um, didn't know much about it, but I applied and I knew it'd be really competitive. And I didn't think I had much of a chance, actually. During this time, I should back up. Um, I was also working as a consultant, even though I was hadn't finished my PhD yet. I was working as a consultant with the Defense Department, actually, in the Navy, doing threat assessment, stress management. Um, and I got involved in a situation there where it was... Um, I got into the media. Um, there was a dangerous situation that I was directly responsible for kind of helping to resolve. Wells Fargo saw that in the media and was very interested in, in, um, in me after that. And I ended up getting the internship slot. Um, and as a result of that, they ended up keeping me after the internship as an independent contractor. And that was my first time I actually worked with traders, got exposed to trading, got exposed to markets. This was in 90. Well, the internship began in 95, but my first trader that I ever met was in 96. And it was a bank trader. So starting in 96, 97, I began working with bank traders and bank analysts. So I kind of began my trading exposure like on a bank desk, which is kind of the opposite of how most people do it. They kind of maybe work up to that or something. But uh, Right. You got to start institutional, work your way down to retail. It's, it's an interesting progression. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's really very different worlds, as you guys may imagine. <laughs> very different worlds. So. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So uh, just to start with a broad thing, what do you see as kind of the uh, biggest difference of sort of the issues that are affecting, say, an institutional bank trader versus uh, a retail client? Wow. Haven't been asked that in a while. Um, 
Well, I mean, the, the big glaring differences are that it's your job versus it's something that you're trying to make is your job. I'm assuming that the retail trader I'm referring to may or may not be profitable necessarily. Maybe they're barely profitable. So the bank trader, institutional trader, it's your job. And uh, if you screw up, you're out of a job. Whereas a, a retail trader can keep theoretically keep funding their account if they can keep finding money. And it's a never ending thing. Um, so that's a huge difference. And that brings an entirely different mindset to your work. Uh, obviously, people tend to treat it more as a, um, well, retail traders should treat it as a business, but they usually don't. If it's your job, you have to treat it as a business because you're going to work at a place of business and there's there's no way around it. So it's a very different mindset entirely. Right. Yeah. There's, there's no room for, not, very little room for error, I guess is the way to put it. Let me ask you this question, just kind of on this topic of retail versus institutional professional actual job. You know, one of the common things that we'll, we talk with traders and we like to rec remind, you know, treat it as though it's your money. Um, when you're trading it with as though it's your money, I think you take a different perspective on it. When you're working with the institutional guys, it's obviously they're trading the firm's money. Have you noticed a difference in the way they react and how they handle the risk and the emotion involved? Oh, yeah, in a really, really, really big way. I mean, there's so many differences. One of them, um, I kind of call it the calendar or the seasonal uh, difference, which is, you know, based upon whatever their their fiscal year is, their compensation cycle is, or when their bonus comes, they tend to, you'll see them tighten up or get loose depending upon where, how things have been going as, they lead, as they're leading up to that or when they're coming out of it, just post uh, bonus period. So that's a huge thing. It completely changes their mindset. They trade a lot differently. Whereas retail traders, there is no annual bonus hanging over their head. So it's a whole different, that, that right there changes the game entirely. So... <laughs> Yeah, you, you uh, reminded me something. I hadn't thought about this in years, but when I was at um, a pretty large prop shop, they would give out an extra 10% to whoever oh. had the highest P&L for the month. <laughs> and at the end of the month, there would be all sorts of shenanigans involving uh, loose trades and piling into whatever had the best settles yeah. to uh, <laughs> juice your end of your month. And uh, yeah, that's something that doesn't really come into play too much in the retail world but um so cool so you eventually kind of it seems because you, you have a trade on now you've uh, told us i've got a few, I'm, in a, I'm in a few such and a few intraday trades and i've got some i got a few different accounts i trade them differently they're different time frames yeah we won't jinx <laughs> any of them by going into it and here's the thing it's funny most of my coaching clients and firms that i consult with the last thing they usually want usually is they don't want my opinion on the markets i can talk about it certainly um but that's usually not what people want from me but i there's a whole idea of market psychology also, not just my opinion. And I can certainly talk about that. That's, I think, a pretty interesting area. But not just trading psychology, but, you know, what's the overall, kind of the meta, what's going on in the market. Well, that's interesting. If you'd want to go into that, you know, sure. I'd love to talk yeah. about that. Well, Especially right yeah. now, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of emotion oh, out there. I mean, there usually is, but it's heightened right now. And I think a lot of it is people are scratching their heads. I mean, we have the situation with... You know, social unrest in our country and extremely high unemployment and, um, you know, earnings are down. And yet, yeah, look what's happened in the market. Uh, NASDAQ's near all-time highs. People are scratching their heads. So this is the pain trade. People need to wake up. This is the pain trade. I don't know how long mm -hmm. it'll go on for. Another two minutes, another two days, another two weeks, another two months. I have no idea. But I do know that right now it's the pain trade. And right now I'm going to go with that. 
It reminds me recently, I reread Jesse Livermore's um, classic book. I like to read it every few years. And um, one of the things he talks about is you got to find the path of least resistance. Right now, the path of least resistance appears to be up because whenever we get even bad news, the market tends to shrug it off. Classic sign of a market that wants to go up. I don't know how long it's going to last. Like I said, two more minutes, two more days, two hours. I don't know. But right now, that's that's what it's telling me. So a lot of folks are offsides. A lot of um, people are scratching their heads. It's confounding a lot of people. The cognitive dissonance is really throwing people off. But you got to remember, the market's going to do what it's going to do. Um, it's 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 own it's its own entity. It's its own beast, basically. And you got to get your arms around that, and then you can maybe adapt to what's happening rather than trade what you think should be happening. Yeah, and if it wants to do anything. Uh, even though it's its own beast, it's to cause as much pain as possible for yeah. those that uh, aren't willing to adapt. So that's the other point I was going to mention. That's the pain trade, right? It's mm-hmm. the market has a tendency to inflict the most amount of pain on the most number of participants. Um, so I think when everyone starts to f- think, "Oh, it's going to go up," that's probably going to be the end of it going up or slow it down at least, and that's the time it'll get range bound or massive pullback. Who knows? I, I don't know. I don't. I don't make predictions. Um, I think of it as hypotheses. I've got a scientific background from neuroscience. So I think of, you know, although I was a, I was clinically trained, not trained to, to be a researcher, academician, although I could do that if I needed to, I think of it as let's come up with hypotheses. And a good scientist, they're willing to re-evaluate uh, their hypotheses in light of new evidence. You have to. But you start with an hypothesis. You got to start somewhere and you got to be flexible. And I usually like to have more than one hypothesis. And I look for evidence that confirms or disconfirms the hypotheses I'm considering. That's kind of how I look at it. When you're working with someone, I think one of the hardest things that I see, especially newer traders, they have one hypothesis. They said, it says, okay, my belief is that this market is going to go this way. And you made that comment. You know, you can't, you have to trade what you want to see, what you're seeing, not what you want the market to do. How do you help someone overcome those emotional biases that they get? Wow. What a, I mean, that hits, cuts right to the heart, doesn't it? That question it really <laughs> does. Uh, good, good job. Good, good, great question. So, a lot of ways I can approach that question. So, I'm going to approach it kind of from a start at the 50,000 foot level. I'll come down at the 50,000 foot level. We don't see the market as it is. We see it as we are, okay? So that means this trader, if I was working with them or if they're on their own, they're going to have to understand what their personal filter is all about. What are the factors contributing to the personal filter? Some of those factors are uh, what I would call present factors or current factors, what's happening, their, how they feel about their P&L. Does their spouse expect a certain level of performance? Um, there's that stuff. Then there's the subconscious stuff and other, there's so many factors feeding into their personal filter. Did they get un, not enough sleep last night? Are they you know, super hyped on caffeine right now? There's a lot of factors, emotional, physiological, cognitive, that can create the personal filter. We're all unique. Show the same chart, 10 traders, you get 10 opinions. It's because of the personal filter. So this trader you're referring to um, is Dan, right? Who asked it? Yes. The first step would be, all right, if you're wanting to be more flexible and you realize that you're trading this market that's that you want, not the market that's there, first step is what's going on in your personal filter. And there's a lot of ways to do that also. Um, I don't have a cookie, I don't use a cookie cutter approach. I've learned as a clinician that you gotta meet, well, we used to have an old saying, you meet the patient where they are, not where you want them to be. So you got it. That means you got to 
uh, assess differently. And each situation is different. It's all unique. But there are certain common human tendencies for sure across the board. There's just different flavors of them all, basically. It's the way I look at it. That's interesting. It's just something I, I know I've, I see a lot of traders and they're always coming, asking that question, you know, or that having that extreme opinion of this is where the market's going to go and how am I going to take advantage of it getting there? And I've done it myself. Um, finally, for me, it, it always came down to my job is to be profitable and not to be right. Yeah. And I don't right. care where the market goes and yeah. finding ways to execute with what the market's doing. Yeah. Love what you said. Love what you said, Dan. And I'll just add to that. I mean, our job is not to be right. It. What is? So what does, you know, our job is to, what you said to extract profit, to make a profit. I look at it a little bit differently. I mean, I want to make a profit and that's why I'm doing this, of course. And my job is not to be right. I look at it a little different, but it's, it's totally aligned with what you said. My job is to just try and make as good of decisions as I can. Have, a, have the best process that I can, have a high quality process. That's my job. And then the outcome is up to the market. I can't control the outcome. It takes other traders. They're gonna, it's their buying and selling that's going to move price for me or against me. So all I can do, my job is what's my process like? Focus on my process, which is a lot of things, right? Process is a lot of stuff. Sure, that's, <laughs> talk about that for days. Yeah, it's everything. Right. So it's your it's your edge, your strategy. It's how you look at things. It's your, you know, it's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. I used to have a mentor that used to tell me all the time, it's process over profits. Focus on your process. And if your process is executed properly and you have a solid system, a proven strategy, those profits will come. Yeah, that's probably the, one of the holy grails. The other real only holy grail in trading is money management. <laughs> which is the other kind of secret holy grail that most retail traders never discover, or if they do, they kind of don't um, let it land. They don't let it sink in. They don't accept it. But that's, yeah, so those are really the only two holy grails in trading. That, that's another big pitfall that we see a lot among some of um, some of our traders. Some people are starting out there is uh, they get enough to start an account, whatever it is, but then they trade too big, whereas uh, professional traders are not going to risk more than a percent, a couple percent on a trade, unless it's some sort of like very large research play. And uh, you'll see people swinging 25%, half their accounts on, uh, you know, one trade. And you just can't do that, you you know, because you're not always going to be right. And then you're putting yourself really in the hole. Because if you lose 50% of your account, you got to go up 100% just to get back where you were. Right. You know, and the challenge is, you know, unfortunately, not everybody is is capitalized enough to be able to trade, you know, one or 2% of their account and have, you know, put on a couple of contracts so you can not be binary and scale out or scale in or whatever. So it's hard. It's really hard. The micros are interesting. That's a new instrument that's been, uh, I'm wondering how many retail folks are utilizing the micro contracts. Yeah, I think a lot of them are. Because it's good, even though those are, you know, they're uh, one-tenth, right, of yeah. the e mini. Yeah. Um, that's still real money on those moves, right? Totally. I mean, for a lot of people, it, you totally. know, the vast majority of people, those mini contracts, now that, you know, at 3000 it's worth 150000 you know, that's a lot of money. And yeah. so it's great that they have yeah. something like that to let people in. Yeah. I don't know how liquid they are. They're probably decent, but yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an option. It's an alternative for people to consider, yeah, for risk management. Yeah. They, they absolutely are. I've, I've dabbled in them a little bit. Um, there is some good liquidity within them. And the nice part is, you know, trading, when we were seeing VIX even holding steady at 60, we saw that peak at 90. 
I've been at this a long time. I've been, I've been around this industry since I was a kid. And I've never really been totally afraid of market moves. I started to get nervous. I was intimidated to put on a move and miss a stop or put on a trade and have it go completely against me. So I started to go look at the the minis or excuse me, the micro contracts. You could put on a one lot on a micro contract and you were seeing profits that you would see trading the minis on a standard day. Yeah. You know, with these big wide ranges we've been having now for a while, it's changed how I trade, definitely. I mean, besides reducing my size, which is the obvious one, another really big one is this. This is a really big one. I used to talk about this a lot with, um, you know, in webinars or just clients and whatnot. Is I, used, I think of my trading, my intraday trading is like a three-legged stool. I got one leg is like I'm looking at internals. Um, the other leg is, you know, price. And I, I'll use maybe some volume profile, market profile kinds of stuff. And then the third leg is order flow. I'm not using order flow anymore. It's kind of meaningless at this point. Um, <laughs> I used to, um, and, and I hate to say that, it really is. I mean, at, at the precise level, because there's so much, the this algo fighting algo. And so I got a little nervous. The end of last year, the service I was using was, go, was no longer going to be available for order flow. And I thought, oh, man, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to find a new service or reinvent myself as a trader. And so I was talking with other, other guys in the same boat. And I was talking with one person who actually, who was one of the original developers of some of their first order flow software. And, and uh, so we were both talking about it and he was, you know, we made some ideas, kind of bounced some ideas back and forth. And so where I've landed is I'm actually not using it at all, but I have found that I don't need it because of these wide ranges. Now, if things kind of come in, which at some point they will, I don't know how long that'll be, I may have to go back and start using order flow software again. But right now I'm not, I'm actually, um, I'm using areas and zones <laughs> rather than precise levels to trade off of. Well, it's been cool because, yeah, without the, um, as we said, with all this uncertainty going on, it's the only thing the market as a whole has to go back to are these levels. So, yeah. you know, those who are against, uh, and I have my pros and cons with technical analysis and stuff like that, but, uh, Man, things are really attracted to those levels right now. The the moving the hundred day, two hundred day moving average, even the the fibs. It's all uh... yeah. The fib. I've never I've never been a fib person, but I've been noticing lately that they're they're working <laughs> to some degree. <laughs> they worked really great. I think it was two weeks ago I made the call. I had just a a fib retracement looking down, and we were trying to figure out how far can the S and P go when it started that sell off, and I had a price of. I, I remember it because it's twice in my life have I been right on to the tick. I said, you know, SPs are going to go down to 2760. They went down to 2760 quarter. And uh, we saw the 300 point bounce that we're at right now. They've utilizing some of these things just to give, and I think it's just a matter of validate validation. You have to have more reason other than one little indication saying, oh, there's a price right there. Go check that out but they create that validation. And I think with the markets that we're seeing right now, it's exactly as you said, Dr. Menneker, it's a, you have to look at these things as zones. You can't be looking at it to the exact price. If you can open your perspective up and say, look, this is an area that I really like. Once it gets there, I'll start to watch reaction. I'll start to see how that market's starting to react there. And then we can make those decisions. But it's really hard right now with these ranges it's it's tough. It's a very difficult trade these days. You know, it's uh, something that I've done a little bit of recently 
and um, which has been really, really helpful actually. Sort of exploring those micros. So what I would, what I might be long, um, and then short, same, same instrument, but one's micro and one's MIDI. <laughs> And within within intraday, intraday, I'm hedging within an nice intraday, little hedge. and it's like it's been working pretty nicely. I just I take the one off that shows the profit first, generally. <laughs> it's it's like my version of a pair trade. So it yeah, works. it's it's been working nicely actually. So I'll probably keep doing it till it stops working. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, yeah, I think we've we've all made so many adjustments. I found my execution has gone down. Yeah. The, the number of yeah. trades I'm taking just in the week. I'm seeing, I think I'm seeing probably bigger weekly P&Ls than I've been seeing probably all last year on average. My execution, I'm probably down 50%. Right. And for me, it was in the very beginning when it started to go, I always hated being short the equity markets. Then mm -hmm. just didn't like it for 10 years. And I had to learn how to be short. And instead of jumping in on every move, it was just a matter of, okay, cut back on how much you're going to be executing. Take it slow. Wait for this market to develop. And, and, and Dan, I presume you decisions. forgot how to get short again, <laughs> like in the last two months. <laughs> uh, well, good thing I was a treasury trader, uh, okay. treasury trader for a long time, so I know the short side. Yeah. Absolutely. So, for the people you work with, where do you think that people can make sort of the most progress? Kind of, uh, if if I'm completely new to this. And I know that I need to reshape the way I'm thinking about things. Or there's, there's some things that I should be doing right off the bat to like make myself better. Yeah, boy, I could start at a lot of places with that. So I think the first thing I'll say is that, you know, people talk a lot about emotions and trading. Got to control your emotions or you got to eliminate your emotions or you got to manage your emotions. And what, what I'm going to say is that, um, first of all, we can't eliminate them. Because um, we are emotional uh, beings, and there's our limbic system. You can't turn it off. It's where the amyg amygdala is. Um, we can't really even necessarily control them that well, and we can't selectively only have some and not others. What I would start off with this person is I would say, look, you're going to have emotions, and you got to understand what emotion is. And I'm going to just sort of give you guys a little bit. This is probably something you may not, may never have heard of before. And it's too bad because this is a, sort of like when you guys introduced me, you know, I have the real background as a clinical psychologist. A lot of folks who talk about trading psychology are not formally trained. And one of the problems is that there's a difference between emotion and feeling. It's a big difference. And I'll tell you guys what it is. And if you understand the difference, you'll understand why you can't ever eliminate or control emotion. So emotion is a biological event. It's visceral. Okay. It's a chemical, molecular, biological reaction in our in various parts of our body, brain, as well as in our heart rate. Can't control it. It's a visceral thing, emotion. It's how our body responds to the environment. It's an evolutionary imperative, kept us alive hundreds of thousands of years ago, tuned into threats around us. That's why we still have it. It's part of the old part of the brain. A feeling, on the other hand, what a feeling is, a feeling is the subjective manifestation. It's how you experience that emotion. It's what we're gonna do is whatever your context is that you're in right now, you're looking at the market, you're stuck in a traffic jam, you're talking to a, uh, your girlfriend or your wife, or you're arguing with somebody, whatever the context is, your mind will use the context to create the feeling with the platform that you base it on as the emotional visceral experience. A nice example would be the same heart rate pattern on an EKG, same kind of heart rate can get, 
be associated with a lot of different feelings. The same rapid heart rate it could be joy, it could be anxiety, it could be frustration, it could be anger. It's the same exact. So that's what that person's doing is they're, those people are taking that same exact biological, emotional experience and they're having different feelings because of what's happening in their environment. So what you got to do is you got to understand where, what emotions are. You also have to understand what feelings are and how they both work. You can start to change your feelings and, and manage your feelings quite a bit. It's harder to do that with your emotions because they're mostly biological. That makes sense. So if I were to simplify it in a sense, the emotion is kind of the base. That's kind of be our root core there. So we're going to have an emotion or emotional reaction, but how we react is in a feeling. So, okay, I'm really happy right now, but I'm emotionally high. Even another, a better way to, to say it, I'm a bit of a per- perfectionist when it comes to this stuff. I'm not an academician. I try not to be a clinician, and, which is more practical, but I That's get a good. little. So we construct our feelings. So emotions are there. They're automatic. But then the feelings, we construct them. We actually make them based upon the platform of the emotion, if that makes sense. I think that's a very cool dis- mm-hmm. distinction. Had yeah. trouble saying the word distinction. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely not a, a way I would have ever personally looked at it without talking to someone. Yeah, no, most people, and and I and I'll just be the first one to say that I, unfortunately, I often use the two terms interchangeably, emotion and feelings, when I'm talking, and I'm usually doing it because the majority of the time I'm talking. If the person I'm talking to doesn't know the difference and I haven't backed up and explained the difference. So I, in my mind, they're the same because they're going to think of them as the same. So I often talk about them as the same. But when I put on my real shrink hat, it's like, okay, I need to decouple them and really, you know, not lead people down the wrong path and like, tell them exactly what's going on. So you guys can always, you guys can straighten me out down the road as we do these more and tell me, hey, are you talking about a feeling or an emotion here? So... <laughs> I'm I'm make I'm gonna be once we're done I'm making notes of it for my uh, my screens in here so I can remind myself is this yeah. a feeling or an emotion and, and and even better it's like what am I feeling and why am I feeling it and why am I creating these feelings and where do these feelings come from and when's the last time I had this feeling and so the other thing I'll sh- share with you guys is that personal filter I talked about another way to look at it is I also call it the inner market you know we're not just trading this thing on the screen that we see on all the screens that we may have in front of us. We're also actually responding to this inner market, and um, you can actually analyze your inner market. You really can. Now I know, um, Jack, you're not. Into, maybe you're, you're a little skeptical of technical analysis. I sort of am too. I, I'm more of like a volume profile kind of a person, but not not purely. But I use it. And um, but maybe I won't use the word technical analysis. But you can certainly analyze your inner market, and it's worthy of analysis. And we should be analyzing it because that's actually what we're trading. <laughs> so, so that's, that's really what has to happen. And, um, and so, you know, that's the deal. That's what I do with myself when I'm trading. I'm always, and that's where knowing what you're feeling and knowing how they're coming from the emotional state, that helps us to, that, that's, our, that's the big part of our inner market right there. But you have to sort of get into it and really understand the patterns. There's patterns on the chart. There's patterns in our inner market too. I love the uh, concept of the inner market. And just for everyone out there, so I can clarify my feelings on uh, technical analysis, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's not the way I feel about it. And I think I'm using feel correctly there is that it, it doesn't matter if I think it's uh, 
it all that matters is that other people accept it and that enough other people accept that that's the market. And so I think it's all a place where we've agreed to meet to like figure things out. That's what I think about those levels. So, yeah, good way to think of it. I mean, I often will tell someone who's interested in learning about how markets work. I'll say, hey, go to an auction, like a real auction, like a cattle auction, an art auction, a car auction, a horse auction, and watch what happens. That's a real pure market. That's how that's that's it. And then you and then just apply the same concept to what you see on the screen. Basically, price goes up faster because there's more bidding and more aggressive bidding. Price slows down because the paddles aren't going up as fast. It's the same thing. It's the exact same. <laughs> yeah. Then the Fed runs in and <laughs> yeah, bids up the price. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's there's big you know there's big buyers out there and and liquidity gets pumped in. Oh yeah, changes things. <laughs> well, absolutely. Well, that's really cool. Um. Well, I know that you are in a trade right now, so we don't want to take more of your time than now because we're going to be, you know, meeting again at some point because they're working together. But um, for the people listening out there who might be interested in learning more about um, what you do and how you're working with traders, uh, where can they find you online? Probably the best place would be my website, which is uh, com. Can't beat that. Yeah, it's real easy. Yeah, just my name. And I, you know, I'm, I think I'm going to start blogging again here pretty soon. I haven't blogged in a while, partly is because I'll just—it's an interesting thing before we go. I'll just share this with you guys. So uh, in the last few months, what's really surprising me is that I've had a number of like high-level, very successful professional traders reach out to me to work with me, and it was like, wow, this is very unusual. I get it, you know, some of those guys here and there. But a bunch of them all at once came in. So it tells me that people are really feeling offsides with this market. And what's happening is I'm going to probably start blogging again because for the last two years, I've sort of decided I didn't do a lot of work with retail traders because I really felt like uh, it's just, it was, it's hard. It's not easy, to be honest. It's, it's hard because they have unrealistic expectations often. So what I'm getting at is that come to my website and I'm going to start blogging more for the masses, for everybody, because I feel like it's something I want to start doing again. Because there's so much happening in the market. There's incredibly big opportunities if people can play it right. I am, yes, I, I am very excited about them. You know, I'm not excited about really anything else that's going on in the world right now, but, you know, the, the, the markets are a nice, they're a nice distraction because they're detached from reality. They've created, they've created such an interesting opportunity uh, I got my dad back into trading after he retired five years ago. He traded for 30 plus years. I got him back trading again. He's And so it's like uh, when I first started, he was my first mentor. So it's like I, we're going back to the old ways and now I'm working with him every single day. It, it's created something exciting when I look at the markets these days. Yeah. Boy, I'd be curious to talk to him one day and see what, see what he says about the difference. Yeah. Well, we talked to him on the podcast and he swore he wasn't going to trade anymore. So, uh, yeah, we had him on the podcast in December or January and he said, I'm never trading again. I don't want any part of it. Everything started to happen. He called me up and said, what's the login for your brokerage account? (laughs) (laughs) There you go. It's like the last dance. You just got to get back in there. Repeat. Hasn't done much, but it's just, it's, you know, for for me, it's kind of ignited a uh, fun and exciting thing to have be able to talk to him again about what we're doing, what we're seeing, what we're what we're looking at. You know, for the last five years or so, it's been, oh, I heard uh, stocks were up today, her bonds were down, and that was about all I'd get out of him. Now he's like, oh, did you see these price points down here? Do you like these levels? 
how about that? How about the reaction when it came down to this price? And so it's made it's made it really fun. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a cool experience for you with your dad. I Absolutely. Like it. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Well, uh, Dr. Medicare, thank you so much again for stopping by uh, our digital dojo or whatever we want to call this here. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Wish you. Uh, I won't say good luck. I will say uh, a sound process in your trade. Well, but you know what? We'll talk about that. There's actually a, there is a big luck factor in trading. Oh, oh yeah. Because it's the other traders that move price for me. And if they move it in my direction, then I realize that I'm lucky. So we'll talk about that another time. But no, you can wish the trader good luck because luck is a big factor in trading. People don't understand that. It's not about throwing darts and getting lucky that way. That's not the luck I'm talking about. Once you're in the trade, it takes luck for it to work. That's what I'm talking about. Right on. So, well, I feel like yeah, that could be an entire session in and of itself. Well, we'd love to have you back sometime. We could just talk about luck. I would love it. Totally. Oh, it has Absolutely. It. Yeah, I love it. It's a total big, I could write a book about it. All right, you guys. It's good, good chatting with you. All right. Have a good one. Take care. Guys, thank you for making it to the end part of the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader for Jack Pelzer and Dan Hodgman. Dan Hodgman. Just had to introduce you another time there again. Just want to let you guys all know that you should check out our content on the blog, uh, Facebook. We're, we're trying to use all the channels, people. It's 2020. You know, it's a Quite shit an year. interesting but... year. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're trying to hit all the channels. So, uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook. I know where all you hip kids are. So, <laughs> so we'll be putting out stuff there. Be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I uh, just got the analytics. May was our best month ever for downloads. And uh, April was the best month before that. So uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank everyone. you. Yeah. So um, with that, I might as well say, uh, you know, beginning, we talked about some heavy stuff. And I just want to reiterate, you know, through all this going on in the world, just to stay safe, you know, think about the tough stuff but don't dwell on it you know find some positives to focus on even if it's just a little bit absolutely and well said well well i, I was just reacting to what you said i wasn't <laughs> trying to say what i said was well said that would be <laughs> that make me a narcissistic monster anyway um it's thursday so gear up for the weekend hopefully it's a better weekend than the last uh, stay safe, namaste, and trade well. The Limit Up Podcast is produced by Dante32. Futures and Forex trading contain substantial risk. It is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.